To ensure that no funny business was going on in the courtyard, he was shirtless in the 80-degree summer heat, leaning out the window with a cigarette in his mouth and the cigarette smoke yellow-stained curtain flailing in the wind around his sweat-soaked body. Hello, and welcome to Personal Disclosures. I'm Nancy Beckett, and I'm your host. Eight people signed up for one of my humorous writing classes here in Chicago at the Second City Training Center, where I've taught for more than 15 years. They entertained the hell out of each other, bonded, and shared secrets they'd never told anyone. And now, they're revealing their truth to you. These stories have so much meaning and quality because they are written. I mean, people are a huge pain in the ass, generally speaking myself included, and they'll bore you to death if you let them. But in these episodes, what you'll discover is how interesting people actually are on paper. It'll surprise you, and you're going to want more. So please, go to our website at personaldisclosures.com. See more of us, tell us what you think, and disclose some of your own truth, why don't you? Here's how it's going to go. After one person reads a personal disclosure, we're gonna riff, we're gonna crosstalk, we're gonna get crazy and funny, and contradict each other, and then we're gonna move on. You're not gonna know who's talking in these commentaries. That's okay, there's nothing you're gonna miss. Just listen to the things that people say to one another as writers in a room reading together. And after a couple of episodes, you'll know who we are. Every Unhappy Family, part one. Grandparents in love. All happy families are alike, but each unhappy family is unhappy for their own reasons, or in their own way. It's the beginning of Anna Karenina, So next up, we have Julie Bashkin (laughs) talking about her grandparents. And I think this was one of the first things she ever wrote in class. And honestly, when she read it, and the original was like 10 pages, I couldn't believe it. It was like Dostoevsky. It was just incoherent, practically. But it was wildly interesting. So... Julie's the one from Minsk, Russia. And when her people decide to emigrate, the grandparents and the parents and the princessa. And first they stop in Italy and then finally they come to Chicago. So Julie grows up in this very old world Russian group with grandparents that like can't stand each other and with a grandfather who was somebody you know like Marlon Brando this guy was a boxer he was he was a mensch and he threw it down the drain and moves his family to America and he's just out the window it's a hot day they're fighting about some damn thing and Julie's on the carpet she's a little kid and Anyway, it's like just a slice of Russian-American life. And if you don't get how these people love, then you don't get much. 
misses my loving grandparents. Inachka, my darling, nipizdi, don't be a cunty mouth, he screamed while leaning out the window of their fifth floor Edgewater apartment. He was shirtless in the 80-degree summer heat, a very muscular and stocky former Soviet boxer. To ensure that no funny business was going on in the courtyard, his whole torso was out of the window with a cigarette in his mouth and the cigarette smoke yellow-stained curtain flailing in the wind around his sweat-soaked body. This was his go-to after she nagged him. That and fucking America, or sometimes fucked up Americans, which applied to Mexicans, blacks, whites, natives, and immigrants alike. He was well known for his phrases. My mother's friends attended his funeral a couple of years ago to pay homage to their beloved mentor, coach, cheerleader, rescuer, and overall friend, who always showed tough love and no mercy during their youth, but showed up no matter when they needed him. For example, to bail them out of the police station for public intoxication and urination. Now in their 50s, they would laugh intermittently through sobs while quoting him. My grandfather was vulgar and crass and swore maybe every other word he uttered, but he commanded respect and admiration. Isa, shut your mouth in the window. You don't need to air our dirty laundry for the whole neighborhood. Despite being a macho man, Mujik, you're really just a neighborhood yenta. She yelled at him while waving her spatula in one hand and wiping her other hand on the oil and tomato stained splotched, once white apron. I would shut the window if I didn't have to air out, since you insist on keeping this damn plastic on all the chairs, which makes me slide right off of them when my balls drip with sweat in this terrible heat. Or, best case scenario, the plastic sticks to my ass and thighs and I have to peel myself off the chair when I get up. Polni pizdiets, I'm fully fucked. As opposed to partially fucked, the amount by which he's being fucked seem to be constantly measured when he's annoyed. My grandfather, Israel, was known as Iza to Americans that would be Izzy. Even I was forced to call him Iza because he became a grandfather at age 40 and insisted that only old farts and his pedantic wife were to be called grandparents. I've only called him grandfather on one occasion, and that was at age 9 out of rage because he only once dared to deny any outlandish request of mine. I couldn't think of a worse insult for him, so I screamed, you're a grandfather, a grandpa, a pops, a zeta, a dadushka, with a capital D. He laughed. <laughs> I used every single grandfather term I knew in every language. He laughingly caved to whatever it was that I had asked of him, always caving, never being able to say no to me. Always praising my big little brain, which was as capable of success or even changing the world as even any man's. Mm. I was really the only person to whom he ever gave an inch of a concession, but not without proclaiming chuchula or monster. I came to fucking America only because of you, where I now have to wipe asses to make a buck. Fucking capitalism. (laughs) With only six years of elementary school education and dyslexia and a learning disability, he somehow ended up marrying an academic who only swore for punctuation. (laughs) Damn philologist always correcting my grammar. They sparred back and forth. I sat in the middle of the living room floor because I couldn't sit on the sectional couch with a rug hanging on it because there was always someone staying on the pullout with their bags thrown all over it. A long-lost relative in from out of town or even out of the country, a straggler who had nowhere to spend a holiday, 
a random guest who drank too much at dinner the night before. In this case, it was my grandmother's friend whom they rescued from Minsk. She was currently out buying an ingredient my grandmother forgot, and by buying, my grandmother almost always meant go door to door and see which of the neighbors will lend you some. It's the least they could do after having eaten here almost every night last week. The hanging rug was an old habit, borrowed from the Orient. Russians hung rugs on their walls to insulate and decorate simultaneously. Old country habits die hard in fucking America. No, Isa, we must help Irina pass for a Jew so she can seek asylum here. How do we prove she was persecuted and get her refugee status? All your going friends are Meshugana. They're all crazy. None of them would have any trouble passing for a Jew. But let's maybe find her some poor schmuck to marry. That would get her a green card and would get her out of my hair. I already have three parasites I have to feed. My granddaughter is my only hope at a productive citizen. No, what's another plate of soup, she says with her hands on her hips, still holding the spatula. She turns to me and says, Remember, always make an extra plate of soup because you never know who's bound to show up for dinner. One of her gems from the Husband Trapping Tip series. (laughs) (laughs) This extra plate of soup theory haunts me to this day. My burger-to-guess ratio is always a minimum of 4 to 1 because I suffer greatly from the fear of not having enough food. Turns out this was not unique to my Russian Jewish grandmother. So when we have people over, my husband always points out I married a girl just like my mother. (laughs) The bickering went on for hours, days, years, decades, my whole life really. They didn't much like each other, and the only thing they had in common is an obsessive love and devotion for my mother, their only child whom they would tragically lose to cancer, and for me, their only grandchild. I often asked them why they got married. Isa waved his hand dismissively. She was definitely the most buxom of all my options, but she had nice legs. (laughs) And she was very educated. My mom always told me I'm a girl with a defect, Ina said in her high, screechy voice, pointing to her throat where she had a six-inch protruding scar from the emergency tracheotomy a farmer performed while she was a toddler in flight from the Nazis. The tracheotomy permanently damaged her vocal cords, so when anyone called the house, she would have to constantly answer to, Hi, little girl, could you please put your parents on the phone? She replies, His parents were illiterate, but they sure knew how to count those stacks of rubles that appeared on their table every day. God only knows how they got that money, but it didn't hurt in his marriage proposal. My mom comes in and announces we're having guests. Masha. Oi, 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 I should have bought more food. With her hands cradling her head, my grandmother panics, as if the two grocery carts from yesterday's almost daily grocery trip wasn't enough. Her cheating, lying, stealing husband Simon better not be coming, Isa pipes up. Oy vey, give it a rest. He did cheat long ago, but this time we're not so sure he actually cheated. Just because the immigration authorities were confused at his application to come to America with two wives doesn't mean he was cheating. He may just have been hedging his bets. (laughs) If one woman couldn't bring him to America, some other poor idiot would. Inachka, my darling, don't be a cunty mouth. Why don't we invite his mistress and her family to dinner too? (laughs) What's wrong with you? Fucking America made you lose all sense of values and loyalty. Speaking of no values, where's my parasite son-in-law? My dad is in the fridge. Literally, he is sitting on the floor (laughs) with the refrigerator door open, and he is leaned over, physically located inside of the refrigerator, eating straight out of the containers. My grandmother answers, that fatso is always sweeping. What's he doing in there? Looking for his dowry? Always cleaning me out. 
Money, money, money. That's all the lazy son of a bitch thinks about, Easy agrees. Their only common ground was criticism of my father. The doorbell rings. Easy comes to the door, and all of a sudden we hear a large thud and someone falling. When Easy saw the adulterer, he immediately punched him right in the head and knocked him out cold. My mother and grandmother run through the hallway to the door screaming. Wow, he hasn't even had his daily shot of vodka yet, my mom says, bewildered. Itzuk, son of Temba, what is wrong with you? Have you lost all your marbles? You could have at least put a shirt on before answering the door, my grandmother, always <laughs> nagging. What in God's name is the meaning of this, the guest demands. Justice, Easy responds, and calmly goes back to his cigarette at the windowsill. Oh, I just love this this whole thing about standing at the window, smoking the cigarette, hanging out the window, you know, the weather, his body, and them arguing and then going full circle back to the window. And in the scope of, I don't know, whatever it is, four pages, you get so many things about how they lived, how they emigrated, and how they died how they suffered, all the chaos and the yelling. I suppose it could be Italian or any nationality, but it, there's something about so many things going on at the same time, so many time frames jammed up against each other. I mean, it's, it's like the Brothers Karamazov. It's, it's like Chekhov. It's, it's like there are minor figures and major figures. And and everything's happening at the same time. And there's fragments of conversation from the past, in the present, from hearsay. It's a cacophony of sorts. And it's about nothing in, in, in many ways. It's, it's about making another bowl of soup. It, but yet it's, yes, it's passionate, but it's also, it's confused. And it, it seems to me like that's Russian, just being, creating confusion on purpose because it's, it forces everyone to be more expressive or more demonstrative. Is it possibly also the lack of romanticism mm, mm. where it's very clear that they don't try to hide some of the sources of tension, like they've been married for decades and yet they don't necessarily they aren't they aren't deeply in love with each other they don't need to hide from the granddaughter the the source of their tension with each other mm-hmm. and they just kind of let everything hang out I don't know if that's a well I mean I, I agree I think that's a good mm-hmm. yeah and and plus they show up I mean in the end when he dies everybody says thank you because he was a coach he was a this a good friend you know he showed up I mean in an American version of this the guy doesn't do anything for anybody. You know, he just sits in the backyard and listens to the ball game or something. So there's a, there's a sort of bitterness or a sense of being fed up, but at the same time, highly functional people. Pillars, pillars of their own community, mm-hmm. in fact. When older people get married, even if it's not romantic and it's transactional or it seems transactional, at the end of the day, they love each other, right? Like whether or not they bicker is irrelevant. They love each other. They created a household that is the center of everyone, all the guests coming and all the neighbors coming. And they're clearly like the matriarch and patriarch, and they're loving towards their daughter and their granddaughter, which unites them in their own love for each other, despite the bickering. These people are from a different world. 
And I think it's the old world. And I mean, let's face it, you know, half the people in America are divorced. It's, it's nothing to get divorced. And so I think when you have an example of patriarch or a matriarch that stay together, you have a better understanding of what the long term means. I think because America is still somewhat young in so many ways, that we don't always have that, those models. These people just never thought they would ever leave one another, ever. And that's all really there is to it. I mean, Everybody in America is looking for the exits, you know. <laughs> There's prenups and dividing things and playing catch up on dividends or whatever, splitting the pie. But it's it's all a game about power. It's not about commitment, in my opinion. The Second City Training Center proudly sponsors the good stuff here at Personal Disclosures. Second City Training Center gives people a chance to have fun, go bold, and find their funny. Whether it's improv to storytelling, or writing to acting, or stand-up to music, you'll find a perfect class at secondcity.com TC. Or if you're just wanting to do what we're doing on this podcast, then just go to secondcity.com slash online and register okay well i hope you're enjoying yourselves because next up we have our french canadian writer kels malot that's how you say it and they're canadians let's just get that right out front they do things in a particular way and they they travel from toronto but they drive and they go over the border and they kind of sort of break the rules and they keep it real nice, but they're sneaking around and doing shit to each other. So I would say this group is solid in more ways than one, like thick, like really, really connected. They drive hundreds of miles just to sit around and eat potato salad or whatever it is. And so it's her point of view that's also really important that she's a wise child and she's wise beyond her years. And that's the viewpoint that I love. It's not, it's not a remarkable story about bananas, but it's that she really saw this, this grandparent couple as a kind of model. Not her parents, her grandparents. My mother's parents, David and Dorothy, continue to have what I believe to be the ideal romance. When I told my mother this for the first time, she laughed hysterically for five minutes. Do you know how often they fight? They're nothing like Mike and Carol Brady, which I find odd to point out considering Robert Reed turned out to be gay and Florence Henderson fucked her son. So, like, if anything, that's probably a relief. Now, I often consider my entire family to be a great comedy bit, but both my grandpa and grandma somehow supersede the rest tenfold. My grandma literally never stops talking. If she has nothing new to say, she'll start from the top. Over the years, she has shrunk to a height of four feet, five inches. She denied her shrinking for many years, despite being measured by many medical professionals. Notwithstanding her size, she continues to be the loudest person in the room. 
If I leave her alone in a store for more than seven seconds, she will have made 12 new friends. I say friends with hesitance as I only ever hear her side of the story. She spends most of her time reading the obituaries in the newspaper, calling bingo, and reminding me that oral sex still counts as intercourse in the eyes of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. She would constantly affirm to my ex-boyfriend, Stephen, that she is not a racist because how could she be when she has a Filipino nephew? My grandpa is normally asleep in his lazy boy chair while she talks. The woman will literally talk to him for hours as he's passed out. I'm not talking rapid eye movement sleep or light sleeping. I mean the type of sleep that even your Fitbit would be excited about. Mm. To no surprise, my grandpa spends most of his nights at his local legion drinking away the pain. That being said, he is a man of principles. A perfect example of their romantic chemistry would be four years ago when we drove from Canada to Tennessee for their 50th wedding anniversary. Now, let me just add a very small aside here. My grandparents had six children who each have their respective spouses. Between those six children, noting one of them to be gay without children, there are 20 grandchildren and three great-grandchildren. How we managed to fit 37 people into a five-bedroom cabin is beyond my literal capabilities. On the road trip there, my cousin Chris, a diabetic, found himself in the same vehicle as my grandparents and I. Before we left the house, my grandpa gave us a 10-minute speech about a little Italian man who was recently caught smuggling a basket of tomatoes across the border and was put in jail. He insisted that we bring no fruits nor vegetables to the border on this trip and rather bring other non-perishables in order for Chris to get his required sugar. About 10 minutes before we approached the border, my grandpa asked my grandma what she ended up bringing for Chris to eat. Bananas. The woman brings not one, not two, but seven bananas. My grandpa lost it. Dorothy, what did I tell you about the little Italian man? She laughed, stating she forgot bananas were a fruit. (laughs) He immediately pulled over to the nearest grocery store and insisted she threw out the bananas and run in to pick up different snacks for Chris. When she returned, she put her bags in the trunk and we approached the border. As her vehicle waited in line next to drive through customs, I asked my grandma what she ended up buying for snacks this time. Strawberries and grapes, and if you're hungry, I never throw out the bananas. I swear to whatever non-denominational higher power you believe in, I thought he was going to turn her in right there and then to the border police. <laughs> my mother's sister Tammy was recently married in Cancun. As our family is so large, we rented an entire catamaran to go on a day-long snorkeling excursion. We would snorkel for an hour or two, then return to the boat and drink alcohol and eat from the buffet. Although 74 years old, my grandpa is in amazing shape. He doesn't look it, but he is. He still plays hockey and golfs multiple times a week. So as he would join us on our snorkeling adventures, my grandma would watch from the boat. Near the end of the day, we returned from our last trip in the water and were on the boat heading back to the resort when we realized that my grandpa was not on the catamaran. My grandma rejoiced, free at last. (laughs) (laughs) Now you have to realize that at this point, we believe my grandpa's lifeless corpse would be washing up on shore around the same time we did. So the fact that pure rejoice was her first and only reaction is both concerning and telling. Suddenly, the captain of our ship notified us that another catamaran about a mile away had radioed in to let him know that my grandpa was on the ship with them. As we looked off into the distance, we could see my grandpa waving to us with another large family. Although, they looked distinctly different than us, as they were Latino, and we would soon come to learn spoke no English. 
as the two catamarans traded my grandpa at sea like a prisoner in some black market <laughs> pirate ship exchange, he sighed at the sight of my grandma. I thought I was rid of you and turning a new leaf. And now, if that, folks, is not true love, I don't know what is. <laughs> I love the tone of this story because she's so understated or deadpanned in her delivery. This is about as excited as you, you get talking about true love, and <laughs> it's all very subtextual. <laughs> so the fact that when they notice that he's gone from the catamaran, and then she's like, oh, good, hallelujah, or whatever it is, he's and then gone. he's like, ah, oh, I thought I was going to get rid of you. <laughs> They're on the same page. They're speaking the same language and so forth, and it's just real. It's like the texture of the moment-by-moment being with them. And I love how you make us pay attention to this little stuff. And you say, there, that's, that's it. That's love. To me, sometimes, I know that cultures are different and generations are different and the idea of this. Here comes a but. Right. But instead of using but, I'm going to say and. All right. And they are also similar in certain ways, right? I mean, the, the idea of Older couples having spent however many years, 50 years together and created these identities where they almost play a role and you can even predict that role because they have learned how to live with each other for 50 years and created that life into love in their own way. I think that's universal. Right. But I also think because we know she's an architect, I saw the description of the marriage and the children that proceed from it and the grandchildren that proceed from them, almost like a genetic mm -hmm. architecture. Yeah. It's like, what, without saying it directly, she's saying, you know, they built something and then all these other things were built as a result of it. Yeah, and there's a romantic notion of how Kels, like believes in true love, right? Mm -hmm. And even though there are some family patterns that might suggest one could doubt their relationship and true love given her parents just got divorced. But. Yeah, but maybe it skips a generation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's what I'm thinking, is that some, haven't you met people that have these awesome parents and then they're a little... Yeah. They're just, they're not bad people, but they're not like mockers the way the older generation is. And then it comes back. Grandchildren can very often be superior in some way. Yeah. The two of them always said, can't live with her, can't live without her. Like that whole notion of, I can't stand her. She gets on my nerves. She's always nagging me, but I can't imagine my life without her nagging me every day is definitely something that I grew up knowing as a reality. Mm -hmm. They actually used to tell these morbid jokes where they bought plots of land in the cemetery together. And they would fight and they'd be like, no, I don't want to be placed in the cemetery with you. We'll just fight after we die. You know, like right. it was these morbid jokes were, were told with a dose of reality often. And then they were like, but we can't be separated. We're like united in life and death because that's just our fate and we can't live without each other. I wish that it was possible for me to live long enough to be married to somebody for 50 years so that we could go to Dollywood on our 50th wedding anniversary. Oh <laughs> this is Julie Bashkin, the executive producer. Anyone can and should do what we're doing here. Visit our website, personaldisclosures.com, to make your own disclosures. We have celebrity comedians and best-selling authors who will work with you individually. 
Whether you're an experienced writer or have never attempted to do this in your life, we can make you funny, smart, and interesting on paper. Next up is Marston Kelly, and she's about to entertain us with the story of her grandparents' divorce. <laughs> if you want to call it that, it's more like a physical separation than, well, you'll hear the story and completely understand. And it's interesting the way it winds around this one. You're not quite sure where she's going to take you. This story is called The Wall. When I was in third grade, my grandparents divorced, built a wall down the middle of their house, each laid claim to one side, and then carried on with their day-to-day lives as if no one would notice. (laughs) You know, like all normal couples. Interestingly, despite the inherently divisive impact of walls generally, I've always had positive feelings towards this wall in particular. When it was built, it created two alternate worlds, conveniently located in one home. Pa's side of the house was dark, warm, and comfortable. He had lazy boy furniture and full fat foods and didn't care if you got crumbs on the floor. He also had cable. (laughs) After discovering Costco, he even converted his dining room into a candy shop and let each of us fill a grocery bag when we'd come to visit. For that reason, my parents were not quite as crazy about Pa's side of the house. (laughs) Nana's side of the house was bright, sunny, and clean. It was filled with fruit, fake flowers, and fat-free dairy products, and a near-constant rotation of furniture and decor. We'd watch the Disney Channel and snack on Pringles on Pa's side, read books and paint pictures on Nana's side, and would all congregate on the common sun porch to eat Nana's blueberries with Pa's lemon sherbet. For me, as a kid, it was perfect. And when you're a kid, it's all about you. Nana has always been one of the people I'm closest to. For as long as I can remember, we've shared a bond of blonde hair and hyper-femininity, a vicious love of yard sales and gritty bargain shopping, an almost eager willingness to endure pain for beauty, and a propensity for bizarre and some might say extreme diets. When I was little, I'd have sleepovers at her house where she'd let me wear pajamas all day and eat pizza for breakfast. When I was in my early 20s and battling severe depression, I slept in her guest room, wore pajamas all day, and ate pizza for breakfast for months on end. Somehow it wasn't as cute the second time around, but it was at least equally memorable. Now, though, I'm just visiting. Tonight, like every night, at exactly five minutes till seven, Pa bangs his fist loudly against the now nearly 20-year-old wall as he shouts, Al! Wheel! Nana, porcelain-skinned and petite, with short, (laughs) platinum blonde hair and impeccably matched Jackie Kennedy Onassis-style pajamas, comes scurrying out of her galley kitchen with popcorn grapes and two skinny cow ice cream bars, eyes wide. Ken, did you hear? It's almost time for wheel. (laughs) Of course I'd heard. Even without Pa's warning, I would have heard, given that he keeps his TV on a minimum volume of like one million. Pa is deaf in one ear, his right ear, which tended to make car rides very difficult, particularly if you were the navigator, as he could never hear your directions. For some reason, though, despite certain failure and her lack of propensity for directions generally, Nana always volunteered to navigate. 
She'd tell Pa to turn at the funny-looking tree where the little boy with dark hair who sometimes came into the library waited for the bus to the (laughs) charter school in Tingsboro. And Pa would say, left or right, Al? (laughs) Then Nana would decide it was a good time to get out the GPS that my parents gave them for Christmas six years ago, and that incidentally they had not charged since. After a lot of speculation about what was wrong with the damn thing, and at least two slight but terrifying deviations from our lane, Pa would say, Jesus Christ, Al, you couldn't find your way out of a paper bag. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Then Nana, despite having heard this hundreds of times, would get just as offended as if it were the first. She'd purse her lips, cross her arms in her lap, and say, now, Ray, that's not true. If we were in a town or at a stoplight, that's when Nana would lower her window and start yelling and waving at pedestrians and other drivers to ask for directions, despite my loud protests, which somehow neither of them ever seemed to hear. Believe it or not, though, we always made it wherever we were going. Pa's legally blind now, though, so our highway shenanigans have come to an end. I helped Nana carry her snacks over to Pa's side of the house, and we all sat and watched Wheel of Fortune. Each time a contestant was about to guess a letter, but before they actually said anything, Pa would loudly ask, What did they say, Al? G? Ha! We'll see. (laughs) As a result, we never heard what was actually guessed, which made it easy to pretend that we'd guessed the right thing. We stayed at Pa's side of the house for Jeopardy and then retreated to Nana's side of the house for copious amounts of oranges. They'd been on sale at Demoulis. There was a loud knock on Nana's door. Come in, Ray, she called, and the door swung open. Pa stood leaning against Nana's doorframe, a big guy, standing at least six feet tall and self-described as husky. <laughs> there was a dusting of gray hair on his head, and his kind eyes were damp from strain. He wiped the perspiration from his forehead, olive skin glistening. One of his medications makes him sweat a lot. He'd already explained at least three times. He gestured broadly with a loaf of bread. Greg brought some bread over. It's from Panera. (laughs) Oh, Ray, how lovely. Ken, should we have some? Oh, I can't. It has gluten in it. Gluten? Ray, is that gluten? No, Al, it's bread from Panera. (laughs) Ken Pa says it's bread from Panera. Yeah, I know. It just, it has gluten in it, so I can't have any. You can't have any gluten? Yeah, I'm allergic. It's bread. From Panera. (laughs) What's gluten? It's not gluten. It says right here, Al. So, hold on. Al, have you seen my glasses? Yes, Ray, you left them right here. Where's here, Al? I'm blind. (laughs) Nana hands Pa his glasses and he puts them on. Aha, see, not gluten. Sourdough from Panera. (laughs) No, gluten is in the bread. In the bread? Greg brought it over this morning. Oh, it's Greg. She thought you said gluten, Ray. What a treat. Oh, Ken, let's have some. (laughs) That night, after I'd watched Nana and Pa eat the bread from Panera that Greg had brought over that morning, Nana and I talked long into the night. She told me that even though she and Pa had divorced and had stopped having a romantic relationship, neither had ever dated or even pursued anyone else. They'd become platonic but remained monogamous. He drives me crazy sometimes, she said, but I don't know what I'd do without him. And God knows what he'd do without me. We laughed, but I knew she was right. They'd built a life together and a house. They divided the house in two, but their lives had remained one. Their shared wall, ironically, seemed to give them the space they needed to support one another. I realized then that that's how I'd always thought of the wall, as a shared wall, not a dividing wall separating my grandparents, but a wall that they shared, 
and that because they shared this wall, they'd been able to continue sharing their lives, both with each other and with their grandkids. Mm. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Very nice. Thank you. Right. The way the story went, you didn't know where it was going, really. At first, I thought it was going to be about how much she liked Pa versus Alice, but it wasn't. So I, I liked that tension that I felt as a listener, like, okay, wait, which way is this going to go? And it was just like the greatest hits. It, it had a lot of very strong, collapsed time, like the pajamas and the pizza for breakfast callback. It's... It's good. It's complicated. It's real. She either resists or just doesn't have the tendency to sort of secretly tell you, the reader, which one she likes better. (laughs) (laughs) I expected it to be about their relationship falling apart, but instead it was about their relationship kind of coming together Mm. after the separation, which is very refreshing and unexpected, but also kind of a perspective on love generally. Mm. I was imagining the walls on either side, how they were decorated, Uh like what (laughs) the pictures were on each Mm -hmm. side, how they were, yeah, a different, the same wall, two sides very different, but serving the same purpose to keep the other one out. Doesn't it seem like a sitcom, like an Everybody Loves Raymond type of... Mm -hmm. That's like their favorite show. They would would be like so delighted by that. (laughs) So (laughs) universal though, because... With my grandparents, if someone came over to their house and was like, I don't eat meat, they'd be like, great, then you can eat this, it's chicken. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was going to say, like, can we please have part two where you explain to your grandparents that you have, you're vegan <laughs> and yeah. try to give you chicken and then fish. And, right. But mayonnaise is fine. Mayonnaise sure. couldn't be... <laughs> There's no animal parts in that. Right. <laughs> I would also oh, like that, to apologize that. to all of New England right now for my terrible Please Boston accent. He nailed it. Yeah. I will take it off of my performance resume. It's um, <laughs> <laughs> an accent I can do. I'm struggling because then it seems to me like there's no cultural difference between old people. Because it's like <laughs> no. everything was so universal. There's, no, there's not. Yeah. That's the answer. Nope, that's a good point. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Old is old. Old is old. The Second City Training Center proudly sponsors the good stuff of personal disclosures. The Second City Training Center gives people a chance to have fun, go bold, and find their funny. If you're not near a training center, then go to secondcity.com online and you can register. This podcast was created by me, Julie Bashkin, in partnership with Alana Kipp and Nancy Beckett and the Second City Training Center. Sound engineering, recording, and original music scores created by Gravity Studios in Chicago. Visit personaldisclosures.com for tips and tricks on how to make your own personal disclosures and to access exclusive personal training and group events with famous best-selling authors and comedians you've seen on TV. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, where you may find embarrassing vintage photos from our youth. And please, share with your friends and leave a review on Stitcher and iTunes. It helps us out tremendously to get the word out and to bring you more laughs and maybe even some tears every week with new episodes.